0: You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. Have you been naughty or nice?
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual horror,
2: Earlier this year, in October of this year, there were some scary headlines out there. Here's Bloomberg's. Oral sex may cause more throat cancer than smoking in men, researchers say. And here's Bloomberg's lead. Quote, a virus spread by oral sex may cause more cases of throat cancer in men than smoking, a finding that spurred calls for new large-scale tests of a drug used against the infection. Uh, The virus, HPV. We have a vaccine for that virus. We have two vaccines for that virus that are hugely effective. But the takeaway in our sex-negative, paranoid, freaky culture was oral sex is dangerous and nobody should be doing it. Uh, when these headlines hit, I was actually at Ohio State University to give a talk uh, in the same building where I was giving uh, a QA, and a a Savage Love Live, above me in a lecture hall. Dr. Ted Technos, who is the Division Director of Head and Neck Surgery at the Arthur James Cancer Hospital and so Love Research Institute at Ohio State University, was giving a speech himself about these developments, about throat cancers in men, about HPV, about the vaccine. And he and I sat down in my dressing room. Uh, after our respective speeches and had a long conversation about HPV, about the risks, about oral cancer, about what people need to know and what people need to do about what we know now, about oral sex, about HPV. Uh, And Dr. Technos agreed to come on the show today with me, and we're going to have a little conversation about this. It's an important subject. We talked for about 15, 20 minutes about HPV, oral cancers, men, cunnilingus, marijuana, smoking. Dr. Technos and I in our conversation after this. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by ExtremeRestraints.com, the ultimate fetish store and a fine purveyor of bondage gear, fucking machines and more. Take ten percent off your holiday shopping at Extreme Restraints with the coupon code Lucy L U C Y. Double that coupon if you use it before January second. Joining me now by phone, Dr. Ted Technos.
1: Hi, Dan. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate
2: it. Uh, it's my pleasure. So uh, should everybody get in time machines and go not perform the oral sex that they performed over the last 35 years to protect themselves from HPV? What, what's the takeaway from these studies?
1: Well, you know, I, I think the takeaway really is that, uh, you know, HPV is becoming a major healthcare care epidemic uh, as it relates to cancer of the uh, throat, And um, these studies really bring that home, that uh, it's really a very recent phenomenon.
2: And the studies show that most throat cancers now in men, and again, it's in men and not women, the studies are all saying, and the reports are all saying, uh, more throat cancers related to HPV infection uh, than to smoking.
1: Right. Um, In fact, um, well, it is in both. I think there is... uh, evidence that HPV-related uh, throat cancers also occur in women, but the ratio is three to one uh, more commonly affects men.
2: Why is uh, that? And,
1: uh, it is entirely related to behaviors. Uh, it really relates to two things. It relates to the number of oral sex partners that a uh, an individual will have with uh, six kind of being the Uh, the point where it reaches statistical significance, and uh, the use of marijuana. And the more marijuana use, the higher the likelihood of of HPV-related throat cancers.
2: You're breaking a lot of hearts.
1: I know. I can hear them shattering
2: all over the country. Uh, Two of everybody. Everybody listens to the podcast, two of their very favorite things, cunnilingus and marijuana. Um, People aren't going to stop smoking pot. People aren't going to stop eating pussy. Uh, Sorry to be vulgar, but um, that's that's how we roll here on the podcast. Uh, Absolutely. So what do people need to do then short of giving up marijuana, at least smoking it? Uh, and giving up uh, oral sex. How, how do people's behaviors need to change? And, and what about people who've been smoking pot and performing oral sex over the last few decades? What, what's the advice for people with this new knowledge about HPV and or, throat cancer?
1: Well, I think the advice is, uh, first off, um, you can't change what you've done in the past, certainly. Um, but you can vaccinate against this disease in your children. So those in the audience who have... Children, and particularly uh, those that are not yet sexually active, the vaccines that are available uh, are uh, incredibly effective and uh, are uh, completely preventive uh, of this uh, disease. So vaccination prior to, uh, to sexual activity is critical. Um, in those individuals'
2: children now, and they're now they're now they're now recommending the vaccine for boys. That was a development, and sort of, a, I felt in the wake of the, the of these reports, four weeks after the stories broke about uh, about these new uh, throat cancer risks, uh, particularly for men. The CDC suddenly recommended that boys be vaccinated for HPV as well as girls. I think I think
1: I think you're exactly right, and in fact, you know, the HPV vaccine uh... has been marketed as uh... you know as a prevention for cervical cancer in girls but it's clear that it is also now being recommended uh... for the prevention of uh... oral cancer and for anal cancer in men the
2: the vaccine though uh... does cause mental retardation in michelle bachman i understand
1: (laughs) well that is you know uh... a controversial point but i think that uh... You know, certainly the vaccine has been shown by all studies to be incredibly safe.
2: Um, I have a son, um, and we had him vaccinated uh, for HPV a couple of years ago, so a couple of years before these recommendations to protect his future sex partners. Uh, Also, they were recommending that the HPV vaccine be administered to uh, children, uh, to to gay men, uh, but, you know, you'd have to vaccinate all boys to protect just the gay ones because you don't know which boys are gay uh, at 11, 12, 13, 14 when they recommend the administration of uh, of the vaccine. Um, So that's what we can do for kids who are not yet sexually active, who have not yet taken the risks, who have not yet hopefully been hitting the bong. What do we do for adults who over the last 35 years as oral sex really went from this rare uh, and – controversial even in kinky practice in the 50s and 60s to standard. Oral sex really does come standard these days. It, it's hugely commonplace. Everybody does it. So people who have been doing it for 30 years who can't get in a time machine and go get vaccinated, what do they need to do? What do they need to look out for? And, and what are the risks? You know, People talk about sure. three or four oral cancers. Um, it's not uh, like you perform oral sex, you get oral cancer, what are the actual odds? What are we talking about? How many cancers per year are we talking about?
1: So those are all great questions, Dan. So essentially, the first thing is that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, this is uh, an increasingly common practice. And if you look at um, over the course of an individual's lifetime, regardless of their proclivities, you know, there's about an 80% likelihood that you uh, will have been exposed to the HPV virus, not necessarily the ones that cause cancers per se, uh, but an 80% likelihood that you would have been exposed through uh, contact. Now, the good news is that the incredibly vast majority of patients uh, or individuals clear that virus from their system uh, within 12 to 24 months.
2: With no ill effects
1: could be with no ill effects or with non-cancerous effects like development of warts or, um, you know, uh, predominantly wart production in the low-risk HPVs. Now, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of patients with HPV-16 infection, which is what causes throat cancer predominantly, about 92% of cases are due to HPV-16, clear it with no ill effects that we are able to detect. Um, within a period of 24 months. Um, The other thing that's important to realize is individuals who get these cancers, particularly if they're not tobacco smokers, uh, tend to do remarkably well with these cancers. In years past, when I'd see a, a patient with a head and neck cancer in their throat, usually it's in the tonsil or in the back of the tongue where these cancers will arise, their survival rate, when it was related to smoking or drinking, was down around 30 to 40%, which is dismal statistics. But if they're non-smokers, non-drinkers, uh, and they're predominantly due to a virus, the HPV virus, their cure rates approach 90%. So the cure rates are very, very high.
2: Why, why is that? Why would there be that difference if it's the same cancer?
1: You know, it's, uh, it, it all has to do with the biology of the tumor. So if you look at the genetics of the tumors that are related to smoking, there's many, many mutations that occur due to the exposure from smoke. But with the HPV virus, those uh, there's very two very predictable changes that occur in those tumors. So they're much simpler tumors, and they're also very sensitive to the therapies that we offer. So that's the 32nd answer to it. And I think also the important thing to point out, Dan, is that And I have this conversation in my office every day with people uh, when a man comes in and has a cancer in their tonsil, And the typical scenario is it's usually a late 30s, early 40s-year-old individual who is typically of a higher socioeconomic status, who's educated, uh, who's not our typical head and neck cancer patient that smokes and drinks and whatnot. Um, Their spouse immediately... Uh, is well informed about this, and they think that their uh, spouse has cheated on them and the fact of the matter is this infection typically occurs in people's late teens early twenties when they become more sexually active and lays dormant for decades and then develops a cancer typically in the age groups that I described so uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of marriage counseling that we do these days based on uh, these
2: diagnoses. So uh, what do people need to be on the lookout for? You know, with cancer, the earlier you catch it, the likelier your odds of survival. W- what do people need to be watching out for? Men who are sexually active, uh, who in- engage in and in- enjoy oral sex and have for years and years, what do they need to look for?
1: That's, uh, you know, the the number one thing that brings people into the office now with this diagnosis is a lump in their neck. So they would have a perfectly flat neck before, and uh, they develop a swollen gland, you know, for lack of a better word, or a lump in their neck that they, they had not noted before. Um, and uh, that doesn't respond to antibiotic therapy, um, and that enlarges over time. Uh, unlike a lot of smoking-related cancers, which can cause throat pain uh, and ear pain because of the way that those tumors grow, the symptoms in these patients tend to be minimal, other than that lump in their neck. Now, in some patients, when the tumor gets big enough, they have it in the in their throat. They can have some bleeding from their throat, and some changes in their um, uh, in their speech. And then finally, uh, there can be some sense of a foreign body in their throat, meaning you know, like, I kind of feel like something stuck in my throat on the right side or on the left side or my tonsil's big on one side but not the other. Those are very common uh, symptoms. But the number one thing is a swollen gland in the neck uh, that is new.
2: I I really want to pin you down on this because, you know, we live in a, I think, a really sex-negative culture, and anything that goes on out there that can be held up as evidence uh, for, you know, a reason why you should never have sex ever with anyone uh, gets promoted and the headlines get written. How, again, how risky exactly is oral sex? Should people, I mean, what's, what are the doctors telling people? Don't do it.
1: Well, you know, it's uh, certainly, you know, it's, it, it's uh, a, you know, a value judgment for individuals. But what I can say is that, you know, from a sheer statistical and medical you know that's I know that's a very clinical way of putting it but this de, this disease didn't exist before the 1970s when you looked at Sweden tonsil cancers and base tongue cancers in Sweden in the 1970s had a rate of hpv in them that was around 20% uh, In and Sweden which does a very nice job of banking their tumors over the years uh, has shown now that the most recent statistics in the in the year uh, uh, 2005, it's about 93% related to the HPV virus. So these tumors didn't exist prior to changes in, in uh, uh, you know, in person S- sexual activity. activity. Now, now, with that said, Dan, I think what's important to realize is, and I don't want to cause, you know, a widespread panic, but, you know, what we're talking about is fifty thousand cases of cancer annually in the United States in this area uh, and you know you do the math 50,000 cases out of what 300 million people and you know the percentage of those that have actually engaged in oral sex is probably pretty high it gives you a you know a uh, you know a, some insight into how likely those you know the, the, a general population is to develop this so the numbers are small but there's no question that the activity is very tightly linked to getting that gain.
2: And of that 50,000 you're saying there's a 90% plus survival rate. Correct. And doctor I know doctors don't like to get into this area because it's so gray but you know at certain points in our adult lives we weigh the pleasures and the rewards versus the risks and then choose whether we're going to fly or snowboard or have sex and, you know eat chicken salad, which kills, listeria kills people every year. Right. And nobody runs right. around saying uh, that you're a dangerous nut job if you will put chicken salad in your mouth, even though chicken salad might have killed your next door neighbor. Right. Um, but people should be cognizant of these risks. Uh, and I really, I feel like this isn't uh, a cat you can put back in the bag, the oral sex thing. I don't think it's going to dry up if I can use that no, no,
1: no, expression. No. I think, I think. No, I think you're right. I mean, especially, you know, the way our, you know, our particularly in our youth, you know, that's something that is, you know, uh, a huge part of the culture in the youth of today.
2: And one of the reasons so many more people have adopted oral sex is it's perceived as less risky. And it is less risky when it comes to things like HIV, certainly, and hugely less risky when it comes to pregnancy. When you want uh, a, a degree of, you know, a form of intimacy that allows you to, you know, be fully engaged and to have orgasms and the exchange of pleasure. Oral for a lot of people is uh, the gateway hug. And I don't know how, I mean, that can't be undone. And if if we undo that, if more people engage in vaginal or anal intercourse, we're just swapping one form of risk and potential consequences that are negative for un- another. People are going to be sexually active. And the message from the, the medical community I haven't found anywhere. The message isn't stop having oral sex. The message is vaccinate your kids so that this isn't a problem like it is now in 30 years.
1: That is that is the you know the the, the message you know with regards to vaccination. You know this is preventable. You know even in cervical cancer where there is no, nobody will question that HPV um, causes cancer of the cervix in women only twenty six percent of young girls get vaccinated, and in the first year of vaccination studies for boys, two percent were vaccinated so you know I mean the you know there's there's no doubt that that needs to be a major push from the medical community
2: with the suffering that you witness uh, in people who are struggling right now with head and neck and throat cancer, uh, it, it must be terribly frustrating for you to see politicians like Michelle Bachman running around the country. Uh, demagoguing on this issue, trying to convince people that there's something risky about the HPV vaccine when we know there isn't and we know it'll save lives.
1: You know, there's no doubt that the rationale behind those those comments are more political than based on medical fact. There's no question. That is frustrating when, you know, when uh, there is a very effective therapy that or a very effective uh, preventative measure that can be adopted with uh, a better messaging, you know, from the medical community and from the the, uh, the, the political uh, community as well.
2: But finally, you know, just to sum up once again, the takeaway is we can prevent these cancers in our children uh, when they reach adulthood by vaccinating them now. Uh, and we can keep our eyes open uh, and pay attention to our ourselves and our own health and, detect our you know if we do succumb if we do come down with uh oral cancer that's related to hpv the sooner we find it the sooner we can get treatment the likelier uh our already good chances of survival are
1: that's absolutely true
2: and people can stop smoking
1: absolutely
2: dr ted technos thank you so much for joining us today and, and walking us through this
1: thanks dan i really appreciate you inviting me on your program Hi,
0: Dan. Uh, I'm a 42-year-old woman and I've been with my husband for 19 years and we have two elementary school-aged children. A really happy marriage. Um, We get along great. We have a good sex life. I really enjoy time with my husband and my family. And this is another case of a husband with a hot wife or cuckold fetish who talked his wife into it and then wasn't so keen on the results. Um, I had one opportunity to explore this. I absolutely loved it, but my husband um, felt really bad afterwards. I also gave him a free pass, but he has passed up two opportunities to use his free pass, and he's okay with me playing around with a female friend. But I'm not a lesbian, and um, I can't seem to get past second base really. And so sometimes I bring her home to share with him. And um, I really am enjoying the idea of the open marriage. It's made me a lot more patient with him. His quirks don't grate on me as much. Uh, I feel like I feel more attracted to him, and I also feel attractive and seductive again. Uh, and my libido has skyrocketed. Um, my husband and I used to be about a match or I was a little lower, but now I'm probably double him and he's doing his very best to keep up. And I now have a lot of empathy and respect for people who are faithful to partners with lower libidos because it's uh, it could be difficult, but I'm dying to get back out there. The man I was with already is game for another round. And, um, But my husband doesn't like that I got to know him well, and so he's feeling jealous of that partner. I've looked at Craigslist, and my husband doesn't like that. He doesn't want to try swingers clubs. Um, He won't say he's closing the door on the open marriage, but I feel like it's closing sort of by default because he, he won't come up with a valid scenario or give me permission to do anything. I've never cheated. I don't want to cheat. Um, I don't want to risk damaging my loving and stable family and consistently satisfying sex with my husband. And if I have to close the door, I will. But I wish that it had never been opened. So I wouldn't know what I was missing. Is there anything I can do to keep my marriage open? Or is this just a failed experiment?
2: So when your husband proposed this idea of, uh, of cuckolding play, was mm-hmm. it about uh, you know humiliation and degradation as it is with some cuckold fetishists that he wanted you know he was sort of aroused by the idea of you cheating on him?
0: Um, it was. It wasn't really the the humiliation. I think it was. Um, he'd express, like um, he'd like for us to go to a bar and I would pick someone up and um, maybe go off in a corner with them and he would watch or. Having someone at our house, and he would be watching um, from the closet or something like that. But it, I don't think it was. It, I don't think he wanted it to be without his knowledge.
2: Right, and, and, and this wasn't. Uh, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just curious how he rolled it out to you when he first proposed it, and you were resistant. What was the, the, the scenarios he was he described? Where you guys go out to a bar and pick up a stranger, or you'd bring somebody home, and I hide in the closet and watch. Right, but this that's this other person way. was essentially unknown to you. Was just
0: that's true, yes.
2: And what tripped his? So you you went out and did this eventually. You 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 had sex with another man.
0: Um, I did, but it was it, I guess it was a, di- a different scenario than what he had expressed. Um, he was away on a trip. Well, actually, um, he'd suggested this, and it took me about a year to come around to even considering it, and then. I started looking around, sort of shopping around, and I met someone that um, I thought would be interesting, and I had him meet this person, and he approved, and he left on a trip and uh, gave me a free pass while he was gone, and I invited this person over. But that wasn't what he had in mind, apparently.
2: Uh Uh-huh. So why did he give you the free pass if that scenario wasn't what he had in mind?
0: Um, I think he had wanted me to involve my female friend as well. I I think maybe what threw him was that it was um, just me and this other person.
2: Mm Hmm. Wow. It sounds like he had a lot of he had sort of a complicated scenario in his head that required a lot of you. Uh, You know, you're not a you're not an action figure. He doesn't get to move you around just in ways that you know comport with his fantasy scenario you know it's guys with cuck fetishes will say uh, i want it to happen in this particular way for my own comfort and sense of security it can't be anybody we know it can't be anybody we have a relationship with it can't be this it can't be that uh and then it ends up being uh that it can't be because it's not you know what's allowable isn't something that the cuck fetishist's female partner or wife is comfortable with not all women want to be with a complete stranger. there's much more risk there uh, physically emotionally disease wise uh, sexual violence uh, you know that scenario that 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 works in the minds of a lot of cuckold fetishists where you know the safety and security of of the relationship is walled off from any threat by this uh, this person's you know being from mars they they blast into <laughs> Mars for a night and then they disappear back to the red planet, never to be seen again um mm-hmm. It would be interesting to speak with your husband. Uh, does he still have these fantasies about you being with other men? But now that he now that you've acted on it once, and he, he realizes that the only way you could do this is in, 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 under circumstances that don't turn him on, or is he now like I, I, I don't you know you with other guys just doesn't work for me at all? We did it, and I realized that that cuckolding thing is not as arousing as I thought.
0: I'm not actually sure. Um, he's he's backed off a lot. Um, partially because I think he... Backed
2: he, off so far, he oh, can't even talk about it anymore?
0: Well, he, he does to some extent, um, but much, much less than, than he did in the beginning. And I think it might be because he's, he's worried that I would go out and act on the things that he's saying.
2: Act on what things? Oh, oh, well, right. So you mean that he would sometimes spin out during sex a fantasy scenario, you guys would talk dirty to each other and now he's afraid you're going to take that as license?
0: Exactly,
2: exactly. Okay, well you need to have a non-horny conversation with him <laughs> where you're, you're, you bring these subjects up and address them when his dick isn't hard and isn't in you and you have this conversation where you just lay it out. You don't. It doesn't sound like you're in a place where this is a deal breaker for you where you either get to do these things or it's over. You don't want to leave him over this, right?
0: No, absolutely not, absolutely not. I'm but, very happy with him.
2: But you miss it. And this awakens something in you that you weren't aware was there. And he needs to take responsibility for awaking these fantasies in you.
0: And he does, and we have talked about that. And um, and he has sort of said that he, he thinks that maybe these things should just be fantasies and not acted out, not, not acted upon. Um, and I, I guess I'm hoping that over time I could reassure him that he doesn't need to feel threatened, and our relationship doesn't need to feel threatened, and that I could go and act, act these things out again. And, and but it's taking a long time coming.
2: How long has it been since he withdrew his permission slip?
0: Um, three months.
2: Okay. <laughs> That's actually not too long a time. Um, okay. I think the, the quickest way for you to reobtain that permission slip is for you to really be honest with him and say exactly what you said to us you know, and to me. Um th- I enjoyed this i would I would still like to have that permission slip in my back pocket uh, but y- you're not comfortable with me doing these things right now or acting on these fantasies, and so I'm not going to because you're my top priority and it has to be mutually pleasurable it has to be consensual or i'm not going to do it and i'm going to prove to you that I can be trusted with that permission slip by not cheating on you now that you've withdrawn it and you know the way that you prove to him that you're committed to him and you're going to stay is to be committed and stay. Mm -hmm. And then he may relax over time once, you know, he's reasserted uh, in his own mind the the primacy of your sexual bond and your ability to to be monogamous. You know, oftentimes it's seeing that your partner can shift back to monogamy that then paradoxically brings back the non-monogamous permission slips in the end because knowing right. that when you he withdraws it because he's not feeling comfortable or he feels a little insecure right now that when it's withdrawn you respect that that can earn you the permission slip again because then he then he's confident that if you know you guys do end up in you know choppy waters again or he ends up feeling insecure again that he can pull it back again and you're going to respect that that this is something you guys do together i would encourage you though when you have the conversation with him to say, I really want to get there again because I enjoyed that. Uh, but I'm not – but we don't have to and I'm content. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to fuck the shit out of you. Uh, we can talk dirty. Please – and let's do. Let's talk dirty about it. I'm not going to take that dirty talk as license. So don't worry about it. Like let loose with the fantasies because they improve our sex life. Uh And then put it in his head that over time you'd like to be able to go there again. But you need to have a conversation about when you do get to go there again, when you do get to cuckold him again, what's in it for him? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of guys who have these fantasies have very sort of specific scenarios. uh, And it needs to be a turn on for him too. And it sounds like the way in which this unfolded, although he did give you the permission slip. That the, the the situation, the circumstances, the scenario wasn't a turn-on for him. And so there really wasn't anything in his wife being allowed to have sex with another man for him. It wasn't arousing for him. And if it's about both of you, th- this fantasy and being able to act on it, if it's about – you know your sex life with your husband, and this being a very special guest star who fuels your fire with your husband, it has to turn him on too. The whole way it unfolds, the circumstance, and you can negotiate into a place where you know you can't just pick up some stranger in a bar because you don't know anything about that person. You can't connect sexually with someone you know nothing about. I- I'm making assumptions here. Um, And, you know, you know nothing about their health status or their, Mm -hmm. you know, whether they're good guys or bad guys. So you need to have some sort of connection slash relationship with this person. But then maybe the circumstance can be more aligned with your husband's fantasy scenarios around him getting to be there, around him being in the closet, around your other – around it being a three-way with another woman.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And then build there that you you can compromise – on setting it up in a way that, you know, turns his cranks, so long as he can compromise on it being somebody that you're comfortable being intimate with. Okay. But in the short run, I mean, the short run meaning maybe the next year or two, you need to be monogamous and proving to him that you can be monogamous again joyfully and not feel like you're being cheated out of anything. And enjoy the fantasies about being with other men with him and inch your way back toward that permission slip. And just you know one, one final thought. This is really common for a lot of people who have you know cuckold fetishes that involve some degree of you know voyeurism or humiliation, uh, which almost all cuckold fetishes do. Where there's that first stepping out, and then a kind of a, a hasty retreat, uh, and then a very gradual reemergence. You know, it's scary stuff. This is varsity level sex. Uh, and fantasizing about your wife being with another woman after many years together is very different than the, the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And so he may need time to acclimate and, and time to be reassured uh, about your commitment to him before he's ready to, to do this again.
0: Okay. I will do that. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: You're welcome. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by ExtremeRestraints.com, the ultimate fetish store. If you want to explore your kinks, you'll find a vast selection of bondage gear, fucking machines, chastity devices, electrosex, cock jewelry, sex toys, and so much more at ExtremeRestraints.com. You can save an extra 10% while shopping for your loved ones this holiday season and let them know the Lovecast sent you by entering the coupon code Lucy at checkout. Double that coupon if you use it before January 2nd.
3: Uh, hi, Dan. This is Manny. I'm a 27-year-old bisexual male, and I never really have had too many hands-free orgasms. I have had about two that I can remember, and other than that, every time I have sex, I end up having to finish myself off. I'm wondering if this is something that I just kind of have to deal with or is it quite possibly that maybe I just like myself more than the people I'm with? (laughs) I don't know.
2: So when you say you need to finish yourself off, I assume that means you're butt fucking away or you're twat fucking away or your throat fucking away and you're close, you're close, you're close, you're aroused, you're not quite there, not quite there and then in the end you have to put your dick in your own hand, stroke yourself off. to to climax, to get there, to finish. Um, That doesn't mean you're not really attracted to the people that you're with. Uh, That means either um, you require a a kind of stim at at that moment uh, that only your right hand can provide. Uh, I would ask certain questions if I could get you on the phone like, are you circumcised? Some men who are circumcised have this problem. Sometimes circumcision can remove uh, chunks of nerves that leave some guys uh, really – Reliant on that clenched fist, uh, that thing that a vagina, a mouth, and uh, an ass can't quite do. Um, Also, though, uh, not all guys who are circumcised have that problem. Uh, Some guys who are circumcised or or not uh, instill that problem in themselves by masturbating traumatically. Uh, that's the term, traumatic masturbatory syndrome. I would ask if you're using the death grip, how often you masturbate, uh, and what's your masturbatory style. If when you jerk off, uh, you don't use lubricant and you grip your penis like it's a, you know, it's a metal bar and you're holding on for dear life over a pit of lava, and if you let go of it, you're gonna fall and die. Uh, asses' mouths, and vaginas they can 't strangle your cock like that, uh, and so you may be, you may be, uh, you may have conditioned yourself to be relying on a uh, an intense form of digital stimulation uh, that the three major orify can 't simulate so I would encourage you uh, if that 's really what 's going on if when you masturbate it 's dry if when you masturbate you 're really gripping your dick with a death grip. Um, To vary your masturbatory routine, to masturbate less often, uh, and to masturbate perhaps with a fleshlight and a lot of lube. And if you can't get a fleshlight, get a honeydew melon, carve a hole in it, fuck that, uh, and retrain your dick. And it is possible. It is possible to retrain your dick. I've heard from many people over the years who've taken this exact device and have retrained their dicks uh, to get them to be able to respond to the, the subtler, damper sensations that mouth, twat, and ass provide, that hands do not.
3: Hi, Dan. I'm 30-something uh, straight now living in New York. i um, been in a relationship for several years um, with my girlfriend, who I live with, um, and I uh, just listened to your uh, most recent episode, 268, where you start off with the rant about the uh, Find His Porn website. Um, that hasn't happened to me. Uh, but I just thinking, I do look at porn. Um, like you said, all guys do, um, while my girlfriend's not around and, uh, you know, I've got pretty vanilla, uh, turn on. So it's nothing like super crazy or whatever. But, um, my girlfriend and I, even though we've been together for several years, we've never even really broached the subject of porn. And I've never had occasion to say, like, you know, I look at porn, right. Cause I'm a guy and like, you know, whatever. So I was just wondering, do most people have that conversation? Do you think it's necessary to just like put it out there? Like, yeah, I look at porn, you know, I look at porn, whatever. Is it strange to just like not even touch it? Um, I mean, you know, she's got a vibrator and, uh, you know, a dildo and she, uh, you know, masturbates when I'm not around too. Um, but, you know, uh, we just kind of leave that area of our lives alone and just kind of leave it out of the relationship is that uh, normal abnormal do you think it's worthwhile trying to have a conversation about that stuff uh, about porn specifically or if it's working is it better to just leave well enough alone
2: it's reasonable for her to assume that you watch porn because most men do and it's entirely reasonable for you to assume that she doesn't like to think about you watching porn Because a lot of women don't like to think about their male partners watching porn, even though a lot of women know that all men watch porn. So she doesn't pry, which is wise, uh, on her part. And you don't offer the information, which is wise on yours. So my advice basically boils down to leave it the fuck alone. Leave it alone. You know she has her vibrators. She probably assumes you have your porn, just doesn't care to know. Uh, So this sounds like not a problem. This sounds like the kind of porn detente that I would like to see in all opposite sex relationships. A few weeks ago, we got a phone call from a newly out gay kid going to a Christian university from a very conservative family. He'd come out to his mom and dad and they had reacted by telling him that he was an adult now if he was going to be gay. Apparently he would still be a child if he was going to be straight. And they were had mostly cut him off. They were giving him a little bit of financial support but not the financial support that he was Expecting during college looked retaliatory to me and his parents wanted him to uh, not be gay and they were giving him anti-gay literature and he wanted to know what to do about his family, about his parents, about their rejection, about his extended family that he had not yet come out to. Uh, He mentioned that he had twice before coming out attempted suicide because of his homosexuality. Um, I encouraged him to be strong, to stand up to his parents and to perhaps come out to all of his aunts and uncles, grandparents, the whole bigoted clan, in a Facebook status update. He went home for Thanksgiving. He gave us a call to give us an update, let us know how things are going. And we're going to get him on the phone. We're going to hear about it. So you went home for Thanksgiving. Uh, yes, I did. How did it go?
4: Uh, it went all right. I actually had an appendectomy the day I got home, so I think my parents had a little bit of pity on me. So, oh, But it went fine until the last day when my mother told me that she asked me if i was over this pretty exact words it was like sexual sin or this um if i was just over being gay basically Uh
2: uh-huh and what did you tell her
4: no and it's not i told her it was it's not something that i'm just going to be over and she gave me this and she just had this really 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 sad expression on her face she's like Okay, you know we've got lots of people praying for you, and you know lots of tons of people who are praying that you'll get. Pretty sure she said you'll get better, and that your the people who love you know best.
2: Uh huh. That's disappointing. Slightly. So so where are you at now with your family? Then what, what can we help you with?
4: Um. Well, for right now. I'm not going home for Christmas. Um, I had a talk with my parents on Tuesday, and I basically told them um, pretty much what you were saying for the last time I called in, that I you, know, you need to respect me as this. If you can't accept that this is who I'm going, who I am in its, in its entirety, then you know I'm not going to be coming home for Christmas. And we ended up getting into about an hour long. Uh, arguments, which to summarize, this could happen. They said that they as a family would never accept me as being gay. They said, they, I believe this is totally and completely a choice. If I ever get a boyfriend or husband, they would not be welcome in the house. My mom told me that she believes I was making a huge mistake. Uh, at some point in my life, I would realize it and I would turn back to the truth. Um, she told me that she knows that she was there when I was born. She knows That I'm not gay. That I was I was straight until I, I suffered some different instances instances of child abuse when I was 12 or 13. And she firmly believes that that's the reason that I'm gay, Um, not because of you know being born this way or whatever. She's confident that's who it is. Um, I told them that they weren't showing unconditional love, but according to them, they said this is unconditional love because they're not accepting or they are accepting all but the sinful parts of me. Oh my and God. so now it's supposedly my fault if I tear the fam- up the family over this. And even though I don't have a boyfriend yet, since currently I'm going to a Christian university, which is ending as of this semester.
2: Are you transferring?
4: Um, yes.
2: Where? Most definitely. Uh, you're going to a more secular institution?
4: Yes. Good. I'm going to a liberal
2: school. Good for you.
4: Uh, I originally went to the Christian school because when I was applying for schools, I was trying to appease them and make them happy, and so I was short-sighted and didn't actually apply to any liberal schools. So, don't make that mistake.
2: <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and, and How are you holding up? How, are, uh, the, the, how You're like 18, 19 years old, right? Uh, n-
4: 19, yeah. Okay,
2: so the prospect of your first Christmas not at home, not with your family, how are you holding up?
4: <laughs> it comes and goes. Um, so I am spending it with the majority of it with one of my friends that I've been friends with since kindergarten. So I will definitely have, like, a good environment. Like, I'll be in a good place for Christmas. But at the same time, it's extraordinarily disappointing Mm -hmm. that it's even come to this because, like they were saying, um, my brother... I do have an older brother who's a senior in college. They're saying, yeah, you know, he would be allowed to bring his girlfriend home for the holidays and whatnot, but you would never be able to because you're doing is basically living in sin. Okay. And my mom said her specific words were, the Bible takes precedent in our house.
2: Okay, well, your parents are making a choice. You didn't make a choice. Your parents are making a choice. You're doing the right thing standing up to them now and being strong now. I would encourage you to send them a copy of uh, Simon LeVay's book, Gay Straight and the Reasons Why, The Science of Sexual Orientation. Um, they can burn it in the backyard barbecue if that's what they want to do, but you should Continue to keep the lines of communication open with them. Uh, but you should stand your ground. I got an email, though, about about you from someone who felt that, based on the fact that you'd attempted suicide twice, you said in your original call, that it, yeah. it might not be the best advice t- to give you to stand up to your family like this. For you to wind up feeling isolated and alone at the holidays uh, might be risky for you Emo- um, emotionally.
4: At this point, they've pretty much already... Cut me off financially, for the most part. I mean, they're already not—they're basically not paying for much. What they are paying for, I don't think they're going to be paying for any longer. And so, I, I'm not—I'm
2: like, not talking about money. I'm the, the, this person's email was about how you know maybe you shouldn't force this issue right now. Maybe you should smile and nod and let your parents think what they want to think, and not stand up to them. And so, I'm just—I'm I'm throwing that out there as. Sort of alternate advice. Because advice, you look it up in the dictionary opinion about what could or should be done. It is not binding arbitration. You do not have to do what I say. Uh, It's just an opinion. And here's another person's opinion. If you feel vulnerable, if you don't want to be isolated at the holidays, if you want to lean on your family for what's good about it right now uh, to get through the holidays, a lot of people get suicidally depressed around the holidays. And if you're facing your first holidays alone or first holidays separated from your family over this issue, you don't want to be at risk. You don't want to be in peril because of that. So that's that other person's advice. My advice to you is it sounds like you're doing absolutely the right thing. And I
4: mean, I, I do think that I am like, I've got a good group of friends of support, like about 10 or 11 guys who all know, and we've been friends for the majority of high school. And so I'm going to be going in and out with them throughout the holidays. So that should make it better. It's just, and I've got a huge extended family as well, and none of them have pretty much got my going behind me on this either, so I'm skipping all of those personesses stuff too. But.
2: And I think, you know, I don't want to encourage you to do anything that, that leaves you, you know, vulnerable or suicidally depressed at the holidays, but I think that's the right thing to do. I really do. I really think standing up to them now. And drawing a line now and not letting them have you in bits and pieces and communicating to them that they can have their bigotry or they can have you but they can't have both is the leverage that ultimately changes families. It opens their minds and it takes some families longer than others to come around. I would encourage you also in addition to that book to send your parents – presumably you communicate with your family via email.
4: Yeah, or email or text. We don't really –
2: Send them a link to johnshore.com, J-O-H-N-S-H-O-R-E.com. He's a Christian uh, and an evangelical and a writer, and he writes about uh, gay issues and homosexuality, and he's very persuasive, and he's uh, on our side. He's on your side. Um, I would even encourage you to go to johnshore.com, send him an email, and ask him to write to your parents directly. He is such a good and giving and loving guy. I bet he would do it. And hearing it from someone their own age, roughly, hearing it from a peer and hearing it from a fellow Christian might help. And he's bringing a book out on this subject. Um, so, you know, there are other people besides your 10 friends from high school that you can enlist in what's going to be perhaps a very long campaign to bring to bring your parents around. Um, but they ultimately are, have to be responsible for bringing themselves around. Uh, you know, my mom, when we were growing up – Took in strays, took in people who'd been rejected by their families for all sorts of really bizarre and arbitrary reasons. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I think of the people that we had in our lives, Debbie and Clay, and uh, friends of my siblings who wound up living with us for months, uh, sometimes a year or two at a time because of conflicts with their family, and my mom became their mom at Christmas and at the holidays, and she called it family of choice. And what you need to do right now is your family, they're making a, a hateful, sinful choice to reject you, to reject love. And you need to find your family of choice. You need to find people who can make you feel safe and secure and loved all year long and at the holidays uh, so that this loss, and it is loss and you're going to feel it as a loss, isn't a devastating loss. You know The love of a parent, the love of siblings, the love of extended family, it's irreplaceable. But there's other love out there that compensates. And to be loved for who you actually are as opposed to loved for what you're willing to edit, loved as blackmail, loved as leverage to get you to tow some line, to get you to betray yourself, to get you to throw your romantic and intimate life away, to win your parents' approval – that's not love that's worth holding on to. That's, you know, par- a parent's love, extended family love. That's love that's worth working for and, and earning back by standing strong and-, and bringing them around. But it's not love that's worth compromising who you are for or betraying yourself to win under false pretenses. Because if you walked in, you know if you walked in there and said, okay, mom, dad, I'm not gay anymore. Then what would that be? A lie. Absolutely. And how long, how many decades could you tell that lie to sustain their conditional love? Right. What they're asking you to do is impossible.
4: I did have one other question with something that they were telling me in our long argument before we stopped talking, and I said, come home for Christmas. Um, Basically, if I don't accept their non-acceptance of my sin, then am I being a hypocrite? And...
1: (laughs)
2: It's,
4: like, it, I tried to argue that as best as I could, and I know in my mind that's a really stupid, really stupid argument. But
2: well, What they're saying is if, if you're unwilling to tolerate my intolerance, then you're being intolerant and aren't you a hypocrite? Basically, yeah. It's like somebody saying, oh, I thought you were uh, against violence, and here you are punching me after I punched you. <laughs> right? Violence and self-defense is different than violence. Right, right. To, be into- to be intolerant of intolerance is tolerance acting in its own defense.
4: I think that's about the number one thing I get here at this Christian column. You need to be tolerant of my intolerance. I don't tolerate intolerance. It's well, bullshit. You're intolerable. It's oh.
2: bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. And nobody would make that argument around when it came to race or sex or you know anti-Semitism. You know, I'm just sitting here trying to peacefully hate the Jews and here you come along with this guilt trip about how I'm anti-Semitic. Aren't you the one saying it's not okay to hate? You're hating me for hating the Jews? What's up with that? Right? And you can you can say, you know, I tolerate – I'm happy to tolerate, you know, you. I'm happy to put up with with you. You aren't happy to put up with me. You're saying I'm not gay or I'm not your son. That's not tolerance i'm saying you're still my parents, I still love you, and you're saying you're not my son unless you 're not this thing that you are that I am
4: I absolutely love that conversation you can come home we just won't talk about it whatsoever you know won 't even mention it well that's not doesn't really seem like coming home to me
2: okay, and that that was the the person who emailed me their argument was. If what you need in your life right now as a young person, as a 19-year-old, just establishing yourself in the world, just taking your first steps out on your own, if what you need is to go home and to not talk about it, uh, and you, that's what you need to you know, get through the holidays to, to be happy enough to avoid suicidal ideation, that you should do that. That's, that. that's you know one of my very smart, well-informed readers' opinions, and I'm sharing it with you. I think you're doing the right thing by leaning on other people, by creating a family of choice, by being very firm with your family about who you are and that you haven't changed and you didn't make a choice, but they're going to have to change, and they're making a choice right now to cling to bigotries and prejudice and bullshit. Frankly, just bullshit. I would, in addition to uh, gay straight, the reason why science of sexual orientation, I would also encourage you to buy "Letter to a Christian Nation" by Sam Harris and send it to your mom and dad. Um, it's a very short book. It's only like 70 or 80 pages. You can read it in a protracted dump. Um, and he makes the point in this book that the Bible got slavery wrong. The Bible is all for slavery. And slavery is perhaps the easiest moral question that we face. And the Bible got that wrong. If the Bible got – Something is easy and simple and obvious. and trans. Jesus Christ, Sermon on the Mount, you couldn't shut that motherfucker up. Blah, 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 blah. Not one word about slavery came out of his mouth, passed through his lips. Don't own people. The meek shall inherit the earth and don't own people. He couldn't be bothered, right? If the Bible got slavery wrong, what are the odds that the Bible got something as complicated as human sexuality wrong? I
4: cannot even tell you how many times I've used that in arguments against people. Like, no, 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 see, look at in, look in Leviticus, see what it says there? Really? Really? You're going to marry that girl you had sex with already? you going to stone
2: her, too? Right. Bye. Look at Deuteronomy. If a woman isn't a virgin on her wedding night, she should be stoned to death. If you sell your daughter into slavery, she can never be free. Unlike your sons, if you sell them into slavery, they can, after seven years, be freed. But not your daughters. It, it, the, 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 you know, we've learned to ignore what the Bible has to say about figs and lobster and farming and grooming uh, and slaves. And we can learn to ignore what it says about gay people. Two, if there's an incentive to, right now you're that incentive in the lives of your parents and your entire extended family, that they have to get over it. They have to come to Jesus' ultimate message, which was love one another. That is the first and most important commandment. And they're not loving you. What?
4: I said, and yet the most ignored.
2: And the most ignored.
4: What am I supposed to, like, okay, after Christmas, I'm I'm planning on, I'm not going to go back home for Christmas at this point. I've already basically taken a stand, and if I was to go back at this point, that would just undermine everything that I've already done so far. So I'm not going to go back for Christmas, but assuming that they still don't budge, like, for the next Christmas, I mean, is it pretty much just basically don't just cut off contact or...
2: No, you maintain okay, – we'll maintain. Um, I would urge you to maintain contact in a way that doesn't leave you feeling emotionally abused or shredded. Emails home. Let them know what you're up to. Write them letters. Love them. Embarrass them by continuing to love them. You demonstrate. You can demonstrate what unconditional love looks like by loving them as they hate you. You can demonstrate what Christianity looks like or supposed to look like or what Christians claim it's supposed to look like. If they want to declare themselves your enemies right now, love your enemies. But they're your enemies. Write them letters. Let them know what you're up to. Keep them in the loop. Let them know the minutia of your daily life. Inquire after them and their health via email, via text. Let them know how your new university is. Let them know about your friends. When you get that first boyfriend, tell them. He's a great guy. He's being really good to me. I love you. I miss you.
4: gonna be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to that.
2: <laughs> love bombs. Hurl them over the fence, you know? Model for them the treatment that you would like to receive from them. Without being too explicit about it. Don't say, look at what me, look what I'm doing, I'm doing what you're failing at. Just do it. They send you an angry letter. You say, I hear you, I read you, I've, I've heard you out. That's my duty as a child to listen to what my parents have to say. Uh, on this, you're wrong. Please read this book. Please go to this website. Please go read John Shore's email to you again. In the meantime, I'm taking this human biology class. It's really cool, it's interesting. You know, wherever they, you know, describe the college, t- I've got a job right now to help pay for college. I really like my cohort. Just be chatty and love them. Right. And some people wind up, some people when they come out, wind up estranged from their families for years and years and years and years. And then their families come around. This could be a very long war. And so you need to surround yourself with people who really care about you. You need to reach out and ask for love and support. You need to find the Judy Savage. Out there. And she's out there. My mom is out there. Someone like my mom. Who wants to step in and mother you at this time when your mother is failing you. All right. Go find her. Good luck.
4: Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the call, taking the time.
2: Uh, And give us a call and let us know how it's going. I
4: definitely will. Okay.
2: Um, All right. Bye. Thanks. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. I hope everybody's having... Happy holidays and look around in your life. You may be the Judy Savage that somebody needs to step in and make sure their holidays are happy. 206-201-2720 is the number. Give us a call. Leave a message. Leave a comment. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. we'll be back at you next week with another installment. The Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.